acorns are jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furry as a mouse, it's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. Welcome to Yarns at Yen Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 178, Change is good. Sunday, September 3rd, 2017. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yinhu podcast has a Facebook page and it's available on iTunes. Each week I post photographs, show notes, and links to the things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features a prize drawing and the segments The Front Porch, Ever Expanding Skill Set, and so forth, and Off the Shelf. All this week, there was a prize thread open for Jacqueline Salem's Clark Socks pattern. And since they were inspired by 1940s architecture in Brooklyn, I asked folks to post something about a structure or architecture or some feature of the region where they lived in order to win the prize. And the posts were really spectacular and a lot of fun to read. So there are two winners. Jacqueline is giving away a pattern and I'm giving away a pattern for the Clark socks. The first winner is for post number eight and that is Hockey Rachel. Rachel wrote, I don't live local to it anymore, but growing up I lived near the Mark Twain house which is modeled after a steamboat and which they talk about in detail when you are taking the tour. Having gone there on more school field trips probably than was appropriate, I still would marvel in it when passing by. I feel a sense of home when I see it, when I am back in Hartford visiting, and she posted a photograph of the Mark Twain house. I've been there one time, not on a school trip, but just on a tour of my own, and I found the tour guide to be the most informative and entertaining tour guide that I've ever had on like a historical house tour, and I've been on quite a few, especially literary historical houses in New England and and the Northeast. That's kind of my specialty area. And the tour guides in the Mark Twain house, I think they get a very special amount of training or they are very carefully selected because this guy was really awesome. The next winner is for post number 10, H. Gal Bally, Helen. Helen wrote that she was unable to get a picture, but the building that is so familiar and comforting to her is Flinders Street Station in Melbourne. 
And I did a Google search for Flinders Street Station, and it is ornate and extraordinary. And one of the photographs I saw even had a tram car passing right in front of the building. Congratulations to you both. I hope you have fun knitting the Clark socks. We will get those patterns through Ravelry to you. And I also plan to knit a pair of Clark socks. In fact, I think I have the perfect yarn. It has a lot of the reds and orange tones in the pair that Jacqueline knit, and it is a gift of yarn from Jacqueline that she gave me when uh, she visited the Knit Local Retreat. So those socks, the Clark socks, are in my queue, but I have since cast on another pair of socks, so I actually have two pairs going right now. Very unusual for me, but I received some yarn in the mail and needed to cast it on immediately because it was the Total Eclipse of the Sun colorway from Socks That Rock, and I really wanted to try the 100% BFL sock, no nylon. So the yarn is really fun to knit, and I've made a little bit of a shift in the pattern of socks that I'm knitting. I'm knitting yarn from Fiber Nymph Dye Works in the S'mores Swirl colorway, and initially I had cast on for Vanilla is the New Black Socks by Anna Fletcher. There's nothing really unusual about those socks until you reach the heel. And then there's this very interesting V-shaped heel that's completely reversible. So you could wear the socks reverse stockinette side facing out. And I got to the heel and I actually did knit the heel, but then I decided that for self-striping yarn, I would rather knit the riverbed gusset heel into my socks. And so I ripped back and then I started up on these Eclipse yarn socks and I will do the vanilla is the new black heel on those. So two pairs of socks on the needles, one heel that I know I like and I enjoy knitting, and another heel pattern that is new to me. And because I knit my socks in tandem, I was in need of four pairs of US size zero needles. So for the one pair of socks, I'm using the Knitter's Pride Carbons, and also a set of Haya Haya Sharps. And I feel that the two uh, set, those two sets of needles are very compatible in terms of the way they feel and the way the yarn moves around on them. And then for the other set of socks, I obtained a second pair of Blackthorn needles in US size zero. I had tested these needles on recommendation from a listener and really liked them. However, because I like to knit two pairs of socks at the same, sorry, one pair of socks, two at the same time, I really needed a second set because those needles have such a different feel to them and they handle so much differently than any other needle that they didn't match well with 
any other set. I had to get another set of Blackthorns. And by posting on an in search of thread on the Ravelry boards, I was able to find a set that someone had and she just had tried them and they they weren't for her. And she shipped them off to me at a really great price. So it's always worth asking, especially if you have a taste for maybe something unusual or you tend to like something that you know other knitters have found difficult or maybe frustrating, it could be worth posting ISO in search of just to see if maybe anyone has something that they're looking to pass off to someone who will really enjoy it. So having four sets of US size zero needles has enabled me to have a couple of different kinds of socks on the go. And I think I will try to get more purse knitting done. Uh, Having something on hand that I can knit, I think will allow me to be a little more productive with my sock knitting. So I'm liking both of the socks on the needles and looking forward to casting on the Clark socks as soon as one of those pairs is complete. Although I don't have any finished objects this week, I do just want to add a note about a feature that I neglected to mention. When I was knitting the Ujo dress, in addition to the faux side seams, which are accomplished with just one purl stitch running down each side of the dress, Another feature is a section of wide rib, a panel, in the center back of the dress. It has the effect of cinching the dress in a little bit in the back. On the Ujo pattern as written, this panel only extends about four inches in the upper center of the back. One modification I made as I knit my Ujo dress is that I extended that to be, I think, at least eight inches long. And I like the effect so much that I have added this feature as well as a single purl stitch along each side to create a faux side seam. I've added these features to the Bresse dress. One of the reasons I like it is that it gives a little bit of interest and variation to what is essentially stockinette in the round. So it gives your mind something to look for and something to focus on as you're knitting stockinette. And the other reason, the real reason I like it is that this ribbed panel has the effect of pulling in the dress in the center back and compensating for some of the way the increases are made in the yoke. So when I knit this Bresse dress last year, I remembered that I didn't think the last set of increases was necessary. And when I put the dress on, the front fits very nicely, but in the back, there's a little bit of puckering and like looseness, just extra fabric that isn't needed in the back. Because there's color work in the yoke and because it's circular fitting around your body, 
the increases are evenly distributed pretty much all around the yolk. However, the increases are really only needed to a certain extent in the front of the dress to compensate for chest measurement. In the back, I think those increases could slow down and maybe even be focused more on the front. So I did take very detailed notes about how I made increases, how many I made, and how I have tried to rectify that situation for the current version of this breasty dress. I needed to fool around with stitch count quite a bit anyway because I was using some motifs that were much larger, many more stitches than the original dress. So I need to have multiples of 14 and just instead of just multiples of, I think, two and four for the original dress. So the back paneling further adds to that effect because just at the point, kind of like the small of your back, that's cinching in there. And then you have A-line increases going down. And then just up about the part where your body starts to get a lot fuller, just above the hip, then you stop doing that ribbing, which immediately adds a little bit of dimension to the back. And then you just keep continuing with those increases. So We'll see how it goes, but I feel pretty confident about this. And I like this ribbing is almost undetectable when you look at the knitted fabric. It's only when you stretch it out that you can really even see that there's ribbing there. In my increases, I've also had to take consideration, take into consideration the fact that I'm using a sport weight yarn to knit this dress and my row gauge is substantially less than um, what the gauge of the fingering weight in the pattern is. So I am doing increases a little more frequently than the pattern calls for because I'm getting about seven rounds to the inch and the gauge suggestion the pattern is about nine. So I'm just increasing at a at a steeper rate, at a faster rate and... Hopefully that yields the same flattering A-line shape that the original pattern has. Have I mentioned that I think everyone should knit this dress? You probably have the pattern because you probably have a copy of Fair Isle Style sitting on your shelf. And you've probably looked at the projects and seen other people wearing it and considered doing it for yourself. You should you should look into this dress. I was first introduced to it by Beverly Mazzarella. She had a sample in her shop. She sung its praises and said, this is the ideal dress. Everyone should knit it. It's very forgiving. And it is. And there are suggestions, of course, for increases, but you can, with a little bit of knitting know-how, you can just keep trying the dress on and keep either speeding up or slowing down increases to accommodate for your size. You could make it total dress length or you could just make it tunic length. And if you are feeling adventurous, then you can really experiment with different types of patterning on the yoke and the hem as well. 
I don't think I'll be putting pockets onto this version. I think I will focus my energy into knitting some more of the mushroom motif just before the ribbed hem of the dress. Once again, the patterns that I've mentioned so far in this episode include the socks with a riverbed gusset. For that, I'm using Emily Estrada's Collie Wobbles socks pattern, not for the Collie Wobble motif, but for the heel, riverbed heel instructions. Also, Vanilla is the New Black Socks pattern by Anna Fletcher. And the Bresse dress designed by Goodwin Johnson, and that appears in Mary Jane Mucklestone's Fair Isle style. Ever expanding skill set. I find that I am not alone in my feelings that a sack lunch is its own special brand of drudgery. It seems like a lot of you are struggling with the same kind of thing, wanting to take a healthy, satisfying lunch. It's also more economical than dining out, but feeling uninspired or, I don't know, just lacking the emotional resources to put it all together. Each week during the month of September, I will try to plan for something that I can take on multiple days, maybe not every day of the week, but on multiple days. And maybe in that way, I can develop kind of like a system of things. And if I have maybe four or five things in my repertoire, I can just keep repeating those. The first up will be a grain salad. I found a recipe and I will link it in the show notes for a radish and pecan grain salad. There is arugula in this recipe. I may or may not use that, but I will definitely keep it separate. If I make this salad, I will put in everything except for any leafy green and maybe put that in the morning of the day that I will eat it or even bring it along separately and combine it at lunchtime. But my plan is to make this green salad. It's more of a set of ideas than a strict recipe, which I also like. I appreciate those kinds of recipes. I think I will take the step of cooking the greens in chicken stock because I often have chicken stock and that lends a little additional protein for a salad that's going to be a meal. And I think I will put this all in its separate mason jars or containers so that it's ready to go. And it is so gratifying to know that I'm not alone and I am joined on this quest by some listeners. So we're already sharing ideas on the Power Pantry thread in the Yarns at Yanhu group and we'll continue to add more information there. And so forth. It is a positively dreary and rainy and cold day here in the Northeast. I think that the remnants of Hurricane Harvey are making their way across our area. It's the perfect day to spend some time sewing. 
and I will continue working on the first of two Dahlia dresses that I've cut out. I visited my mom to ask for her advice. One of her comments was, wow, it was really brave of you to cut out two versions of this dress without sewing one of them. I think what she meant was it was incredibly stupid of me to cut out two versions of a dress I have never made before in the same size. That may very well be the case. Given that this pattern has a side zip, it's a rather fitted dress with a waistband and a side zip, it is kind of impossible to tell how well the dress is fitting until the zip is installed and the dress is nearly complete. I'll cross my fingers and hope for the best. The Dahlia dress is a more tailored looking dress. It has the side zip, so the intention is that it's nicely fitted. It features a waistband and darts in the back, upper back of the dress, and a whole bunch of gathering just under the bust instead of bust darts. And there are a couple options for the top and a couple options for the bottom. So on the top, there's a strappy dress with no sleeves. That's the one I'm making first. And then there's a much more demure style dress with sleeves. And for the skirt, there's a version with a one front piece and then two pieces in the back creating a kick pleat. And then the other option is a six paneled skirt with a center front, a center back, and then four different side pieces. Currently, the first version I'm making is the one with straps. Straps are created with double fold bias tape. That will be a new skill for me. And the bottom of this dress has the six different panels. It was essential to use masking tape. I use masking tape and a Sharpie and label each pattern piece. Depending on the fabric I'm using, I might also write front and back on each piece because sometimes it's hard to tell once you've cut them out. I found putting this together along one seam challenging. I had a little bit of difficulty orienting myself to the pattern um, and remembering that I'm putting a zip in along one side so not just to repeat each step on both sides of the pattern. So there was a bit of ripping out and my stitch in the ditch skills proved to be a little on edge. So I did take the step of putting in some contrast thread and doing a machine based around the waistband before I did the stitch in the ditch. And that was really helpful because it helped me hold down all the fabric just the way I wanted it because I could look at the wrong side or the inside of the dress. And then I felt confident as I was doing the stitch in the ditch 
that I was really getting each part of that waistband along as I stitched along the front. Today will be zipper installation and hopefully this the top and the straps also and then I always let a dress hang for at least 24 hours before installing the hem. So we'll see how that goes. I wanted to use printed fabric for these Dahlia dresses. The Dahlia dress, by the way, is a design from Colette Patterns. But because there are a lot of different pieces, I didn't want these dresses to get busy because they were created entirely out of patterned fabric. And so I decided to combine patterned fabric with a really lovely lightweight denim. I've used this denim on multiple occasions. I used it to sew the Endless Summer tunic and I just find it a really comfortable fabric. I like the blue color a lot. It's not navy blue. It's not overly like stonewashed blue that looks worn out and more casual. It's this really wonderful medium blue. And so for the strappy version of this Dahlia dress, I have a skirt. All of the skirt pieces are out of this wonderful organic cotton designed by Sarah Watts. It's a design line that's been out for a really long time. It's from her bird's eye view collection, and I think it's called Doobie Doobie Doo or something. It looks like, I always think it looks like amoebas. It looks as though you're looking at something under a microscope has all these amorphous shapes and a lot of colors. And then the waistband and the top are out of this lightweight denim. For my other version of the dress, I had just enough of this beautiful Rifle Paper Company fabric to do the waistband, the bodice, and the sleeves. And then that skirt is going to be the lightweight denim. And I'm really eager to see how that works out because I do love the wonderful prints, but I also like having something, especially for the workplace, that's a little more on the serious side with just a hint of the print uh, or used more as an accent. And so that, that will be, um, you know, an interesting element to explore with dressmaking. In terms of dressmaking overall and my five-year goal of a mostly handmade wardrobe, I am reaching the end of year three. And that means that I've been thinking a lot about what I still want to accomplish in years four and five. And I feel that year four should be about the suit. I would like to make a skirt and jacket maybe pants also to go with the jacket, although that's not a priority. I wear skirts and dresses a lot more than pants. And I would like to make a skirt and jacket that match out of matching fabric. And I would like to try a wool fabric. Some listeners have already given me some great suggestions for jacket patterns. I haven't selected one yet, but I'm getting closer And I plan to start that project in the new year. And of course, continue with other things that I 
I really like to sew, but that's definitely a hurdle I want to clear in year four. And year five, I would like to work on sewing a pair of jeans. And I feel like with those things under my belt, that will be most of the types of basics in my wardrobe that I would need for a mostly handmade wardrobe. All the while, of course, I'm still adding knitted garments to my wardrobe and I'm still purging fast fashion that I am not wearing because with every piece I make, with every commitment I make to this handmade wardrobe, I am less and less likely to wear store-bought things. So pieces just, you know, I just keep giving them to charity as it becomes clear to me that I'm not wearing that anymore and I'm more and more committed to the things that I have made. It is very exciting that so many of you are interested in some sort of embroider along. I'm still in the planning stages, but I've decided that the embroider along or embroider more, embroider more Cal, will take place in October and November. So that gives you the month of September to kind of settle on a project or a practice and that I will have at least one prize that I will pick up from Brooklyn Haberdashery because I plan to shop there when I visit Rhinebeck. I'm thinking about running this as an Instagram, maybe an Instagram and a Ravelry along. And I think a couple of things are important to consider. If you haven't done much embroidery, it may be a good idea to settle on a project or even to purchase a kit. There are a lot of kits with pre-printed patterns, sometimes the hoop and the thread. It can be a great way to start without making a big investment. And in terms of comparison between the crafts, embroidery is something that you can begin with a $10 investment. It's really inexpensive to start. So a kit could be a good idea. Also, just looking online for a particular project. And another way to go at it could be more of a meditative process of trying to do a few stitches a day or just to stitch for a certain, you know, five minutes, ten minutes each day. And that's easier when you're working on one particular project. So we have the month of September to plan and chat and think about things and then start posting photographs of our progress in October and November. Off the shelf. It's been a while since I've shared a poem on the podcast. This week, I came across a poem that combines two of my very favorite topics, bees and stitching. The poem is by Maggie Smith. She's an American poet. I don't have really much familiarity with her or her poetry. She's the author of The Well Speaks of Its Own Poison, which came out from Tupelo Press in 2015 and has won a Dorset Prize and an Independent Publisher Book Award for 
her collection Lamp of the Body. This poem is titled Where Honey Comes From. When my daughter drizzles gold on her breakfast toast, I remind her she's seen the bee men in our tree, casting smoke like a spell until the swarm thrums itself to sleep. She's seen them wipe the air clean with smoke, the way a hand smudges chalk from a slate, erasing danger written there, as if smoke revises the story of the air until each page reads, Never fear, never fear. Honey is in the hive, forbidden lantern lit on the inside, where it must be dark, where it must always be. Honey is sweetness and fear. I think the bees have learned to embroider, to stitch the sky with warnings untouched by smoke. Buzzing is the sound of bees perforating the air, as if pulling thread through, over and over, though the thread, too, is air. Hey, guns jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furries and bouncing. Sweet nature, sweet nature thing. It's a Thanks for listening. Music for this episode is so sweet. Music and lyrics by Samuel St. Thomas, performed by Bovine Social Club. Eat well and stay strong as you hone your post-apocalyptic skill set this week.
Yeah. 